Short Cast Club. Hello, we're here today with Volume 18, some of our favorite short casts from the past month. I know we've had a bit of a hiatus, and I'm excited to get back on track with you today and with this episode. I'm Avi Kaufman, your host, and this is Short Lights, an anthology of the best of Shortcast Club. I hope you learn something or find inspiration from today's selection. Our theme today is Miracles That Open Your Eyes. In today's episode, you'll hear from Joshua Terhune, a therapist with news of a miracle drug, and a story about Kurt Vonnegut. From Samantha Chung with a twist on the classic affirmations, from Bill Harper with the key to marketing and life, from Sid Hewison, an Australian tour guide, from Liz Jane on the three corporate worker personality types, from Marissa Moyer with how to get over your screw-ups, and finally from Carolinda Goodman to teach us about the wolf moon. First up, in this 32nd episode, Joshua Terhune, a therapist, tells us about a miracle drug. What if I told you there is a medication that significantly reduced your risk of anxiety, depression, and PTSD, made you smarter, and helped you lose weight and gain muscle? What if I told you it was free? The only downside is it takes about seven to nine hours for it to work. Would you take it? I would. Here's the kicker, you can. It's called sleep. I'll admit, he got me in the first half. That was a very short episode, though, so let's hear one more minute from Joshua. Here he shares an inspirational story about his hometown hero, Kurt Vonnegut. I personally love this perspective shift that he's about to introduce, especially as a perpetual creator with mixed results. The famous author Kurt Vonnegut had a great story about perfectionism and self-criticism. When he was a teenager, he had lunch with an archaeologist, and the archaeologist was asking him all sorts of questions, like, what do you like doing? What subjects do you like? And Kurt answered, he didn't like playing sports. He really liked arts and music. And the archaeologist was like, wow, that's amazing. And Kurt was like, no, it's, it, I'm not very good at them. And the archaeologist said something that stuck with him his entire life. The archaeologist said, I don't think being good at things is the point of doing them at all. You've got all of these wonderful experiences, and they all teach you something important about yourself. And I think that's what makes you interesting, no matter how well you do them. Kurt went on to write, I went from a failure, someone who wasn't talented enough to do anything, to someone who did things because I enjoyed them. I had been raised in such an achievement-oriented environment that I thought it was only worth doing something if I could win at it. How different would the world be if we stopped avoiding the things that we're passionate about simply because we're not good at them? I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. That affirmation, of course, comes from Al Franken's Saturday Night Live character, Stuart Smalley, and reciting affirmations has become mainstream pop psychology at this point. But what if affirmations don't work for you? In this episode of Simplifying Sam, the shortcast, Samantha Chung shares a twist on this approach that works better for her. If affirmations don't work for you, don't worry, they don't work for me either. Something that works for me is actually asking questions that are in opposition to things that I'm having negative thoughts about. So the reason why this works is because let's say you ask the question, why do I always suck? Or why is it gloomy outside? Notice that the question is actually affirming something that you believe to be true. So why is it so gloomy? It is gloomy. Why am I so terrible? 
you think you're terrible. So the way to kind of suspend your mind's belief for a bit and create a little bit of space and change the directionality of your energy and the thoughts that are coming into your mind is to say something like, why am I so awesome? Why does everything work out for me? Why am I so inspired? Why am I so positive? Why am I so great? Ask yourself these questions and watch how quickly your energy shifts because your mind's going to be like, oh, I guess that'd be true. You're affirming something new by changing the direction of the question. In this next episode of Don't Just Win, Dominate, Bill Harper, a marketing and branding leader, goes a bit philosophical and shares the key to marketing and to life. If you want your personal brand to be revered, and what I mean by that is you want to get the absolute most out of it. You want people to see you as a contributor and valuable and amazing and interesting and all the rest of it. There's one fundamental truth that you have to understand and employ, and it's hard. It's not easy because you're going to want to do the exact opposite of what I'm about to tell you. But if you do this, if you do this thing that I'm about to give you, and if you'll just allow yourself to see the truth of what it is, you won't believe how successful you are. And here it is. If you're ready for it, this is it. You are irrelevant. Now, that's going to go against the grain of everything you believe. You're like, no, but Bill, I contribute and I do things and I'm like the reason things can get moving forward. All of that is probably true. But here's the way that we all fit. You, me, everybody. President down. Into the universe. We all exist to make something possible or to make something go away. This is like the fundamental basic. If you're a boss of a company and you hire somebody, did you ever really think, why do you hire somebody? You'd be like, Bill, you're an idiot. You hire somebody to do a job. Almost. You hire somebody because you don't have the bandwidth to do the job yourself. So you're putting a tremendous amount of trust and faith in that person. Now, if that person comes in and is like, I need this and I want that and I think this and I don't want to do it your way and da 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 that's running contrary to what the original intent of hiring the person was in the first place. That's the same thing for an employee as it is for an agency or for a product that you buy or whatever. If you ever got a product that you thought was going to help, I don't know, take red wine stains out of white carpet, I don't know, and it didn't work, and you're like, dadgummit, I can't believe that I just wasted my time and my money buying this thing that didn't work, isn't that the exact same emotional response that you have when you hire somebody and they don't work or you get a job and the boss doesn't deliver what it is that they said that they were going to deliver? Like your frustration is exactly the same. And if you're able to back out of your personal situation enough to realize that it's that desire stacked on top of itself over and over and over and over again in the world then you realize that for all of us, we are simply a tool to somebody else who's trying to get somewhere or achieve something. And the more that we help them get there, the more they say, oh my gosh, that person is amazing. And, oh my gosh, that person is so super valuable. So it's important to understand that to get the thing you want most, which is recognition and achievement and the rest of it, The way to get there is actually within the circumstance of your situation, whether you are the boss of a company and you are beholden to clients, or you are an employee who is beholden to a boss, or you are a solopreneur that is trying to 
um, I don't know, help other people. What, like, it doesn't matter. It's all the same thing over and over and over again. <clears throat> Your greatest value is in finding out as clearly as you can what the person that you're serving is trying to achieve and how they measure that success. The more you are able to do that, the more you are gonna see yourself skyrocket in value, which is gonna come in the form of things like praise, recognition publicly, raises, advancement in your career. If you can just get yourself to understand this fundamental truth about the way the universe works, you won't believe what you're able to achieve. Sid Hewison, an Australian tour guide, shares this episode from when he was touring the U.S. In this episode, he's in southeastern New Mexico, the historical site for the development of a rather unusual experimental weapon from World War II. The precursor to the atomic bomb was one of the strangest weapons I've ever heard of. Not too far from here are a bunch of caves called the Carlsbad Caverns. And these caves are notorious for having hundreds of thousands of bats fly in and out of them every day. So back in the early 1940s, there was a dentist from Pennsylvania called Lytle Adams, and he had the genius idea of potentially attaching small bombs to these small bats uh, to be used in warfare. What a great idea. Luckily for Adams, he was good friends with Eleanor Roosevelt, who was the first lady at the time. And so after Pearl Harbor, Adams put his ideas into paper and sent a letter to Roosevelt. This is funny, and it's a direct quote from the letter that Adams sent to Roosevelt. The bat was the lowest form of animal life, and until now, reasons for its creation had remained unexplained. Bats were created by God to await this hour to play their part in the scheme of free human existence and to frustrate any attempt of those who dare to desecrate our way of life. <laughs> what? So Roosevelt thought this was a great idea, and, and it went to the military for experimentation. Uh, they found the Mexican free-tailed bat was the most effective at doing their job. Essentially what they ended up doing is attaching 18 grams of napalm to these 14-gram bats. They put them into hibernation, and then put them into these big bat bombs, where there was about a thousand compartments, and then they would drop these bombs out of planes. Parachute would come out of the bomb, the capsule would open, and a thousand bats with incendiary devices attached to them would fly off in a 40-mile radius and conspicuously take roost in all of the buildings. And then when the sun came up, all of the timers connected to the payloads would be detonated, in turn creating a mass napalm fire around the entire city in which the bats were released. Crazy. Next, an episode of Liz Jane's Working Girl Shortcast. She shares three types of career personalities that she has observed in corporate America. I actually think more and more Gen Z are skipping the Kool-Aid drinker phase and going straight to the system gamer phase. I've been making 9 to 5 career content for a little over 2 years now. And based on my observations of both in my video comment section and my personal experience in the 9 to 5 corporate world, I can safely say there are three types of career personalities. The first one is what I'm calling the Kool-Aid drinker, who embody the corporate culture to a T. They have followed the traditional path of corporate success, so they got the degree, they got the internship, they got the job, they probably work for a very large company, and they've stayed there for many, many years. This group has some very strongly held beliefs about the workplace. Maybe it was because this path worked for them and this is what they associate success with. Either way, they crave stability. They like the way things are and they're in an environment that works for them. The second personality is what I call the system gamers. The system gamers at first glance might appear like they are Kool-Aid drinkers, but dig deeper and you'll notice that there's a difference. They don't buy into the idea of corporate life and they actually might think that the nine to five is bullshit. This is the group that might be overemployed and have more than one full-time job because they are in it for the money and they know that it's not gonna serve them to be a slave to the job. System gamers are not necessarily interested in changing the nine to five because they've accepted that it is what it is, but they still need to participate 
participate in it. They are great at taking all of their vacation days and they have no problem moving on if a better opportunity presents itself. The third career personality type is the rat race resistor. This group has been part of the 9 to 5 system at some point. They may have started out as a very loyal Kool-Aid drinker and they did everything that they were supposed to do but then they changed their tune because something happened. Like they were passed over for a promotion or a raise one too many times, or maybe they got laid off after years of loyal and dedicated service. And because of that thing that happened, they are now completely turning their back to the nine to five and either changing industries completely or turning to entrepreneurship. I would say a lot of people in their careers start out as Kool-Aid drinkers because that's what a college education prepares you for. Then maybe over time they become system gamers and stay there because system gamers know how to have a good work-life balance. And there's somewhere in here where I think there is actually a fourth personality. But for now, leave me a comment. Tell me which personality you've identified with throughout the course of your career. Because I know for myself, I've identified as one of these personalities at some point. In this next episode, Marissa Moyer, a career coach, talks about what to do if you screw up at work and how to get over it. You screwed something up at work. You made a mistake. It's been eating at you. You haven't forgiven yourself because you're the type of person who just genuinely gives a shit about your work and you feel like you let yourself and everyone down. The only purpose of this video is to help you get over it. This is an exercise called the podcast exercise. I use this with my clients for a variety of reasons, but it's especially good for this. The first thing you do is think of someone you find inspirational, someone you look up to. What do inspirational people do? They are vulnerable with us and they are evolved. They inspire us because they talk about the mistakes and the struggles and what they learned and how they moved on and why they're better for it now. That part is for your headspace. If you are still living in this mistake and the shame, you need to prime yourself by thinking about people who have successfully gotten out of the state that you are currently in. Then you're going to do something crazy. When you are in the loop of shameful thoughts, you have to break that loop. So what would be the craziest thing you could see yourself doing to get past this? Well, what if you were that inspirational evolved? person. I want you to imagine future, confident, evolved you on a stage or on someone's podcast telling the story of this screw up in an inspirational way. Tell them how shitty it felt at the time, but also tell them what you learned from it. Also tell them how it made you better. Tell them how you realized that that actually happened for you and not to you. And tell it with the intention of helping others. So you're imagining the scenario where it is you, but it's also kind of a different person. It's future you. And if a mistake is eating you up like this, you're probably a really empathetic person. So this exercise allows you to take the perspective of another version of you that has healed from this that is thinking about impacting others in a positive way which can help you break that loop that you're in and which is made extra painful because you are fully focused on yourself i hope this helped at least one person know what it feels like being disappointed in yourself and i know that it hits high performers at work really hard for our final episode today let's hear from the perennially popular sky gazing with carolinda January's full moon will reach peak illumination this Thursday, January 25th, 2024. Look for it on the northeastern horizon at just around sunset, which will be 4.52 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. What makes the moon look full? When the moon is exactly 180 degrees opposite the sun in its orbit around the Earth, its sunlit side is entirely visible from Earth and it will appear full for two to three nights. But remember, even though all we see is its flat face, the moon is a big sphere. 
January's full moon probably came to be known as the wolf moon because people thought that wolves were howling at the moon. But we now know that wolves were howling for other reasons, like hunger. It's winter, after all, when it's harder to find food. Wolves also use their voices to define territory, locate their fellow pack members, reinforce social bonds, and coordinate hunting. But if you've ever heard these guys howling in the night, it can seem pretty eerie. Other names for January's full moon are the center moon, cold moon, frost exploding moon, freeze up moon, severe moon, hard moon, Canada goose moon, great moon, greetings moon, and spirit moon. I hope you enjoy this taste of some of our favorite recent short casts. If you did, please subscribe, leave a review, and tell your friends. We really appreciate your support as we grow our audience. There are links for each of the creators you heard today in the show notes. We encourage you to find and follow them on Shortcast Club. Check out more great shows available on Shortcast Club. Download the app from the iOS or Android app store. Search for Shortcast Club. Thanks and happy listening.